Amen. Children's Church, you can be dismissed. I tell you, I want to sing that one now, hearing that. That's good, Barnett. Thank you, brother. Back there, like, we need to sing that one. Put that on a rotation, Randall, real soon. Maybe I pull the trigger on that one before we leave today. <laughs> Take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Colossians. Uh, we find ourselves continuing on in chapter 1. Um, I had high hopes this morning, and uh, <laughs> I'm thinking we might only make it about one or two verses, so so much for those high hopes, but uh, that's all right. We trust that uh, we'll stay exactly where we need to stay, and uh, that's in the Word of God, so we know we're there on that, and uh, hopefully uh, it'll be a blessing to us today as we look into what God has for us this morning. Colossians chapter 1. Our study, and of course if you've been reading through the book of Colossians, you're familiar with the book of Colossians, there's a common theme throughout, and that is the preeminence of Christ. Christ is to be at the center of everything. He's our life. He's our all in all, right? If we're believers in Jesus Christ, we're followers of Christ, He is everything to us not a religion not a church building or gathering per se it's a person and as we study through colossians i want us to continually ask ourselves this question where is christ in my life is he on the throne of your life And that's a question we need to constantly ask, no matter how mature we are in the faith, no matter how immature we are in the faith. We are to continue, as Paul will remind us as we unpack this text, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, today we're in part three uh, of this study, and we're going to be focusing in on prayer. Uh, again, this first section in Colossians is a Paul... Uh, giving his prayerful thoughts towards the church at Colossae. And as you know, the history, the background we've been talking about, uh, this is a small uh, gathering of believers. It, at one point, uh, this was the hubbub town. Uh, it is no more. It's just a small, insignificant town. In fact, maybe one of the smallest areas as far as significance uh, in, the, in the population of the day in which Paul wrote and visited, maybe one of the smallest churches uh, as far as it, its not in the, in the hubbub. It's kind of like community in LaGrange. You know, who goes to LaGrange? Can anything good come out of LaGrange? You know, by the way, you're in good company. They said that about Jesus out of Nazareth. But So here's the point, guys. This isn't Raleigh-Durham area. That was Hierapolis. That was the, the tri-city area of Paul's day. There's the road. When you look at the map of the seven churches that are dressed in Revelation, that became the new roadway of this region, Phrygia, all right? Colossae's outside of that circle. So there's not a lot going on there in the way of its glory days that it once lived in. But what is going on there is a growing church, but a growing church that's in danger of false teaching coming in. 
That's one of the reasons Epaphras, probably one of the pastors of the church there, has gone to Paul, who's under house arrest in Rome, to tell him of the good things that's going on in the church, but also some concerns he has as a pastor. Did you know your pastor has concerns? Just like every other pastor has concerns. One of the concerns that I have is the same as Paul. As, as an under-shepherd, part of my responsibility is protecting the sheep. And Scripture tells us all that sometimes sheep try to come in that we look and as we observe, we recognize, wait a minute, that looks like a sheep, smells like a sheep, but is that really a sheep? And Jesus said, you will know these wolves in sheep's clothing, you'll know these false teachers by their fruit or lack thereof. Can a good tree bring forth bad fruit? Or does a, no, a good tree doesn't bring forth bad fruit. A bad tree doesn't bring forth good fruit. And so we live in a society that's PC correct and, and oh, don't, we don't need to judge others. But guys, Scripture calls all of us as believers to grow in the grace and knowledge. We are all to discern. If we're not discerning, then we are sheep for the slaughter. Our great shepherd does not want us to wander through this world aimlessly being duped, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so that's why we have the Word of God, that we might grow in our discernment. That's what discipleship is all about, that we're growing in our understanding of who Christ is, that He's preeminent in our life, so that when we come to situations, circumstances where we must exercise discernment, where we must judge rightly, we have the knowledge to do so. Knowledge informs behavior. Knowledge informs action. If you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the behavior, you don't have the action. And so Paul's going to talk about this in this section. But that's, again, we know what's going on there. Epaphras has come. He's, he's told him, hey, some good things are going on, but there's also some things I've got concerns about. We know Onesimus is there. Paul's met him. He was a slave that ran away, and, and, and he's Philemon's slave. Philemon happens to be in the church at Colossae. Paul puts all this together, writes a little note to Philemon, a personal note to him. Hey, I'm going to send Onesimus back with Tychicus. They're going to bring this note to Colossae. You need to receive Onesimus. He's a brother in Christ. I've, I've, he's been led to the Lord. He's now one of us. You need to receive him as a brother. And if he owes you anything, put it on my account. This is what Paul's going to tell him. Again, to get the full story, guys, we've got to read Philemon. We've got to read this letter to the Colossians. So that's what's going on. So Paul sends these guys back with this letter. But let's, let's continue to see what, what the Word of God has to say. We're going to pick up our reading in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And uh, again, with this backdrop in mind, he's been thankful. Um, and he, he has heard again of the good things going on. And so here's what he says in verse 9, if you would follow along in your text. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening 
strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray this morning that You will fill me with Your Holy Spirit, that You will have preeminence in everything that's done here. And so, Lord, draw us near. Uh, as we draw near to You, You promise You draw near to us. I pray that Your Word would not be hindered in any way. And so I pray as the seed is sown, as it's watered this morning, that You would bring the increase. And Lord, that You would encourage us and build us in our faith today as we desperately are dependent upon You to do what only You can do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage starts off, and you see here in this section, again, Paul, just kind of scanning back, comes in right from the start announcing his authority as apostle. We talked about last week in our group, small group study, the reason he does that is because you've got these false teachers who are coming in and trying to establish their authority. Paul's letting them know right from the get-go, he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, he talked about how uh, he's writing to these saints who, who are faithful brothers in Christ. He wants them to remain faithful brothers in Christ, and that's why this letter is so important. He says, we, we thank God, verse, verse 3, when we pray, since we heard of your faith. And you'll recall, as, as Paul was writing this, he says, for this reason. What reason? What reason? For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. What had he heard? What's the reason? What's going on here? What was their response to the gospel? Remember, last week our focus was on in that verses 1 through 8, the gospel. The gospel was front and center. Since we heard about your faith in Christ, since the gospel has brought forth fruit, and by the way, is bringing fruit around the world, he says... And since we know this has taken place there in Colossae, it's for this reason, your response to the gospel, that we do not cease to pray for you. Now, let's be real clear. That ceasing to pray doesn't mean he's constantly on his knees, he's constantly on his face, he's constantly having a dedicated time at an altar lighting a candle. That's not what that means. Guys, this, this, we talked about this briefly, and I want to expand this a little bit more because I don't know if we... we we get this, and we need to get this. This is vital. This attitude of prayer is a constant. Anytime I hear of the Colossians, Paul might say, oh, when I hear about those Colossians, there, what's going on there? Yes, Lord, bless them, what they're doing. Not the southern, southern, you know, bless. Oh, bless their heart. Not that kind, right? A real actual thank you, Lord, for what, what you're doing there. This attitude of prayer, this connection of prayer, we said is a Christ consciousness. Do you have a Christ consciousness? You know, oftentimes I, I, you've heard me be transparent up here and I say, you know, there's an area in my life, and I think if we're all honest, there's an area in our life of discipline that we wish we were, we were better at is in the area of prayer. 
Now, when I say the statement like that, what I'm talking about, I am talking about that prayer closet. I am talking about that fervent urgency of, of, of a, uh, an Elijah, you know, where he's, he's praying fervently and earnestly. And Scripture does tell us to do that. And we need those seasons. And I have those seasons. I have those moments. And, of course, you can never have enough of those moments. Amen? I'm sure when Jesus was here on his earthly ministry and you see many times him getting away to seek the Father, he would probably say, man, these are the moments I wish I had more of, but nevertheless, not my will. The work needs to be done, right? So there's that communion side of prayer. And yes, that is a vital part of prayer. But guys, when Paul talks about praying without ceasing, there's a constant connection. Now, some of you kids, you millennials, I love you. You'll never understand dial-up, okay? Some of you remember dial-up internet connection. Ah, it was the worst sound. It was like, for, for your older generation, it was equivalent to nails down the chalkboard. Y'all remember that, don't you? Any of you don't want to see a show of hands. Teachers used to do that to get the classes. Ah, attention. Dial-up got you attention like that, but it was terrible. And then sometimes you sit through all of that, and then bing, it would kick you off, and it wasn't even a connection. You had no connection. Sin keeps us from having connection, right? So as believers, even though we have access and we can come boldly to the throne room of grace because of who Christ is and what Christ has done, if we guard iniquity in our heart, if we keep sin in our life and we're unwilling to relent and yield and surrender that, then it's dial-up connection getting kicked off every time. You might as well hang up until you confess that sin. And if you confess your sin, Scripture is, is, is clear. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But man, we're like, we're like the, uh, you know, I don't know what the latest is. I mean, you know, uh, broadband, DSL, whatever. You know, we got an instant. It's like all, it's, it's all access, man. I mean, it's from the second you, you go to the Lord in your thoughts and prayer, you have access to the throne room of grace because of who Christ is. And so a Christ consciousness looks like this. Throughout my day, I am aware of His presence in my life. I am aware when I meet the guy at the register, at the restaurant, or wherever I may be, that if there's this opportunity, and by the way, if there's a walking, talking, breathing person in front of you, there's an opportunity, right? That I'm in a Christ conscious awareness. So sometimes that looks like this. There's small talk going on, and the person says something like, you know, I say, hey, how, you having a good day? Ah, not having a very good day. You know, I, I just got a phone call this morning. But somebody, they start telling me a woe in their life. Guess what's going on in the broadband? Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. Encourage this person. Help me share something that might be a blessing. Help, help me to, to, if this is a... That's a Christ consciousness. There's a constant saturation of your life in the way that you walk, talk, live, that you're aware of God's presence and you're aware of God's desire for those around us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. These are people created in the image of God. Therefore, they have value. And so as Christ-conscious people, we should be living in such a Christ-conscious connection that there is a sensitivity to the leading of the Lord. That at any given moment, a situation, be it a phone call, be it an encounter, be it whatever, that I am immediately connecting to Christ in prayer. Oftentimes what I, and I would encourage you to do this, 
you know, we throw it around to Elizabeth, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. And, and, and it's good intentions a lot of times, but we never do. You know, sometimes it's good if you got the moment, stop right then, go ahead and pray. The moment doesn't allow, that's okay, but I think here's the important thing. No doubt as Paul heard of the Colossians, there was a constant lift of prayer. Certain people, you know, you've asked to pray for over the years, when, they're mine, when they come to mind, you'll pray for them. That's what I like to say, and I think that's a good thing to say. Hey, as, if, if, you know, as the Lord brings it to mind, I'm going to pray for you. As the Lord lays it on, on my heart, I'm going to pray for you. Because there are times, <laughs> there was time last night, about 4 a.m., um, sometimes you just get it laid on your heart to pray for a specific person. Thank you, Lord, for the connection that we can at any time enter the throne room of grace. Paul starts here, and, and I like to call this section a prayer of preeminence because I think, again, he's Christ-centered in his life. And so when he, he says, look, for this reason, because of the response you had to the gospel, and remember this was in the last section, because of their faith, because of their hope, and because of their love. It's for this reason that Paul is praying for them. Guys, I can tell you, you know what excites a pastor? These things. When I hear about your faith, when I hear about you growing in your faith, when I hear about your hope, not in this life, but in the life to come, when you have eyes on eternity, that thrills a pastor's heart. There is nothing more exciting for this pastor than to hear of how God is at work in your life, and you're aware of that, you're conscious of that, you, you're desiring that. That's what Paul is saying here. And he's never met these guys, remember? He's not been there personally. He's planning on coming. He's heard this through Epaphras, their pastor. So you've got these three pastors gathered right here, Paul and Timothy and Epaphras, and they're talking about the important stuff. Faith, hope, love. And it's for this reason they're praying for them. So, let's look at this. This is the prayer. It's, a, it's the heart of a pastor, I, I, and I see that in this passage from, from 9 to 14 and, 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 and throughout Colossians because that's truly what's going on uh, in this text. Four things I want you to notice here as we, as we look at this. We won't get to all of these. We'll only probably do the first one today, but this is, Lord willing, where we're going. Here's four things. You be filled with the knowledge of His will. This is what Paul's prayer is for the Colossians. This is the heart of a pastor. Can I tell you, these four things I've already put up, for, for, uh, up on the screen here are my prayers for you. Because I recognize this is what God has laid on the heart of Paul, Timothy, Epaphras, and Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Dean, Pastor Nate. These are important things, guys. This is what... Look, I, I don't mind praying for Aunt Bessie's toe. Aunt Bessie's toe's hurt. We, we want it to be healed. But guys, let's just be real for a minute. We spend all this effort praying for the ailment. Well, you wait till your toe's hurt and see how you feel. I understand that. But guys, we spend so much time praying sort of a defensive a reactive prayer, and we forget the offensive prayers. We forget the proactive. Hey, you know what we should be praying for also? We should be praying for 
those who are on the front line, those that are doing ministry, those that are doing well in the Lord. How about let's pray for those? You guys remember, I, I've used this in, uh, illustration a lot. And uh, uh, credit to, to Mr. Holton here this morning. There he is. Hey, good to see you, Mr. Holton. I'm going to pick on you a second. Uh, you know, when Mr. Holton needs to come out here and, and help me get the yard tilled up, and, and man, we'd be doing the garden out there. And, and I remember going out there one time, and I had so many tomato plants because I had so many kids. And uh, we were going to grow us a bunch of tomatoes. And I'll never forget, there was some plants that just, man, they were doing terrible. They were lousy. They just weren't growing. They, were, they weren't producing. They were dying. And then I had these four that were like, man, this is like Miracle Grow commercial. I mean, I should have been on one of I should have probably filmed that, you know, the amazing Miracle Grow. You know, look at these, these tomatoes. These are, you know, big tomatoes. Sure, those aren't pumpkins. I don't know. Anyway, they were doing good. They were doing good. And then these others were just dying. And my initial reaction was to go and spend all this time on these plants that weren't producing. Oh, I gotta, I gotta give these, I gotta give them some TLC. I gotta help them grow. I gotta give them my attention. Oh, come, please, 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 please grow. What do I gotta do? I gotta put some water. Oh, maybe I put a little something. You know what happened to my good plants? That's that's a plant wilting, by the way. <laughs> they begin to die. I'm sure with Mr. Holton, I'm gonna have, it might not have been you, but I'm going to give you credit today, all right? So if I'm wrong, Lord, forgive me. But we'll say Mr. Holton said, you know what? You've got you to focus on those plants that are doing good. Don't worry about those others. If they, you know, sometimes you, you only do what you've got to do. If you focus on the ones that produce much fruit, you'll get plenty. Guys, go read the parable of the sowing of the seed. We can spend all our effort on those others that are getting choked out by the cares of the world. But where Jesus spent his focus ministry was on his 12 and then on those three. And they turned the world upside down. I'm not saying that you just completely outright neglect the others. But I'm saying we've got it backwards. We spend so much effort stroking and caring for and we neglect the ones who are actually hungry and thirsty for truth and righteousness. Paul says, Colossians, I've heard the good stuff. I know there's some bad stuff. I'm going to pray you be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's one thing we're going to look at. And we'll unpack this a little bit more. He also is going to pray that you walk worthy of the Lord. Guys, I pray this morning, Lord, please help us at Community Baptist Church. Help us walk Worthy of the Lord. The idea of walking is a continual. It's a life. He prays that they be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. We can't do this in our strength. Been there, done that. Got the t-shirt, sold it, had holes in it. Can I tell them that story? That's too late now, I won't do it. That was terrible, wasn't it? Y'all saw that look, did you? I'm in trouble now. There once was this person who had a shirt, and we were all getting ready to leave, the, or they were, this family was getting ready to leave the house. 
<laughs> yes, y'all heard that. Then. If you can tell one, honey, I'm sure you've got plenty of material on me. <laughs> and go to brush the hair, and there's a hole in the shirt. Can't wear that shirt out. Anyway. Strengthen with all my... I don't even know why I even went there. Anyway. She said, I know, I don't either. I, t- I gave you a warning. I gave you an out. But anyway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Let me get back to being filled with the knowledge of His will. Alright. Sorry about that. Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power. Not our strength, by all means. And giving thanks to the Father. Definitely, again, a... a, a and there's something about you know, gratefulness and attitude of gratitude. Look, I, I struggle. Listen, I, my spiritual gift is criticism. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I can be real critical at times. You say, no, I didn't know that about you, Pastor. But also, I, I'm a very, uh, may, you may not always see this side, but I'm also a very thankful person because I do realize where God brought me from. I do recognize what he's done in my life. I do recognize the night and day difference. I do recognize that I went from death to life, from darkness to light. Man, that is, I'm telling you, that that is something I am eternally grateful for. And I hope that comes through in who I am. You may not see it as much as those who used to know me. Uh, My wife and I are headed, this is a good story. Uh, my wife and I are headed uh, tomorrow, Lord willing, to take the kids to see Grandma for a while. They're going to stay with Grandma for a few days. Y'all pray for that. And uh, anyway, they're going to go spend some time with Grandma. And so there's the church. You remember the church that helped us when our sanctuary got flooded? They brought out their men's group, and they delivered all of these supplies for hurricane uh, victims. We set up out there at Southland Flooring. A little plug there if you need to. Anyway, uh, and we went out there and set up and gave away all these supplies that church called me this past week, a friend of mine from, from school days. He said, Jeremy, we had a back-to-school thing, and we've got a bunch of backpacks left. We'd like to donate them to your church so you can have some for, for your community and, and things. I'm like, man, that is awesome. We're getting ready to have a back-to-school blast. And so anyway, we're going to go tomorrow. We're going to pick up. We're going to drop the kids off, and we're going to go through Asheboro, and we're going to pick up all these backpacks full of supplies and bring them back, and we'll, we'll give away some at our harvest laborers' table uh, Danielle's going to be setting up next week in Kinston. There's a big uh, homeschool fair, so we're promoting our harvest labor ministry. And uh, pray for that. And again, we'll, we'll give away a door prize there, backpack, but also our back-to-school blast. We'll give away a bunch of backpacks for the kids. And so I'm talking to this guy on the phone, and he says, we were having a men's Bible study this week, and uh, he said there was a, a guy there, and he said, Man, have you, have you heard from Jeremy Varner lately? He said, yeah, I just talked to him the other day. He said, man, he, he is, I'm just really encouraged in, in the man he's become. See, Shane knew the old man. Shane knew the scoundrel this guy used to be. And that's no praise to Jeremy. That's glory to God. Because I can tell you, Jeremy tried to clean himself up. Jeremy did do a good job. Jeremy fell on his face every time I tried in my strength. To God be the glory. It's God who reached down into the miry clay that I was loving. I was a pig in a pigsty. A pig in a pigsty loves being in the pigsty. Okay? It was Christ who reached down with his loving grace and put my feet upon a rock.
To God be the glory. But what an opportunity, guys, to give thanks to the Father for who Christ is because of the gospel, because of the transformation of life. That's what Epaphras has told Paul about these people in Colossae. They've come out of the Ephesians riot and they've migrated down to Colossae. There's these Jewish brethren's backgrounds in the, in the uh, Judaism that are also in the church. There are no doubt those who practice the paganism and the mysticism and angel worship. And some of them have come out of that only now to have these false teachers chasing them, pursuing them, or creeping in unaware into their congregation to try and sidetrack them, to try and lead them astray. This is exactly why we showed you the American gospel. This is exactly why God had us in the book of Jude. So that we learn as a congregation, as Paul, as a good pastor, as Epaphras, as a good pastor, is trying to encourage the congregation that we must earnestly contend for the faith, Jude said. Exposing these heresies as they make themselves known. Not just here, but in the church universally. And so, these are the things that we look to unpack. It's the heart of a pastor praying for these things. Well, let's look at the first one. Uh, by the way, when it comes to prayer, check out this quote. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. E. Stanley Jones. Dude, that's good stuff right there, guys. Think about it. How often do we pray? And if we're being honest, we're asking for my will be done. Since I picked on sickness a while ago, Aunt Bessie's toe, well, what if, what if, I'm, what if we're praying for Aunt Bessie's toe, and what if it's God's will that Aunt Bessie's toe be allowed to be this way. Because if Aunt Bessie's toe wasn't allowed to be this way, Aunt Bessie would have been running that 5K and she wouldn't have seen that bus coming. I mean, I don't know. Do you know God's perfect will and plan? Sometimes God allows things in our life and sometimes as Paul, when he asked three times, Lord, please remove this thorn in my flesh. If you don't like the Aunt Bessie analogy, we'll stay with Scripture. Same thing, same principle. He asked three times, but what did God say? No, Paul. Listen, in your weakness, my power's made perfect. This is going to keep you dependent on me. This is going to keep you close to me. God knows better sometimes when we don't know better. Big Bear and I were talking out in the hallway and, and we were talking about this morning and he was reading through uh, the scriptures, which excites a pastor. And he was talking about how, you know, pastor, you know, Christ makes intercession sometimes. We don't even know what to pray for. I said, yeah, isn't that awesome? I mean, guys, sometimes I don't know exactly how to pray in this circumstance. But you know you have an intercessor. You have Jesus Christ who makes intercession day and night for you. And when we don't know how to pray or what to pray, the Spirit of God makes intercession on our behalf. Utterances we don't even know. I mean, things we don't even hear. Things we have no clue in protecting us. 
can't expect God to move on to my plan. That's backwards. You don't throw that boat anchor into the shore and expect to pull that shore near you. Why do we do that in our prayer life? No, when I'm throwing that prayer out there to God, anchored in an immovable object, when it's not left to subjectivity, not my will, but thy will be done, it is hopefully changing my direction, changing my heart, that I'm getting more in line with the center of God's will, His will, so that He would have preeminence in my life. So Paul says it's for this reason that I'm praying for you, that you be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now I want us to talk about this. This is where we're going to spend our time. What does it mean to be filled? Some of you are thinking, well, I'll know here in about an hour if you ever let us get out of here. I'm planning on getting me some fried chicken. You know, I don't know. Fill it up. What does it mean to be filled? Let me give you some scripture passages as we think. Because again, again, guys, I want us to think biblically. Right? When we think, we need to think biblical worldview. So let's look at some other times where the word filled has been used in scripture. John 16, 6. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Jesus, talking to his disciples... <gasps> their heart sunk. You, you ever had, you ever got news? You ever got news that was so, so sorrowful? It just, I mean, it just fills your heart. I mean, you're so full of sorrow. You know what it's like to be filled with sorrow. It's all consuming. It's everything. It's like, you can't, it's just, it's, it's all of your being. It's, you're sorrowful. You're just in that saturation. You're filled. Luke 5, 26. They were all amazed. And this was the healing of a lame man. They were all amazed and glorified God and filled with fear. Awe. A-W-E. Whoa. Whoa. They were filled to overflowing in amazement. This was just, whoa. I like watching those video clips. You ever watch those you know, YouTube video clips and, and somebody does some kind of amazing, crazy basketball shot or, or football play and you're just like, and you see all the people go, wow, they're running around. They just can't believe they're, they're, they're filled with amazement, right? I better not try that again. Anyway. <laughs> we also see in Luke 6, 11, and they were filled with fury. These were the religious leaders because of what Jesus was doing in their midst. And they were just, oh, they were steaming with just so mad and just full of anger. They couldn't stand it. They were filled with fury. I ain't going to ask you if you've ever been there. Acts 4.31. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word with boldness. This was always one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I remember the first time discovering this passage. This passage. Because you know it comes on the tail end of, of, of Peter and John just being, get, man, they got beat with sticks. Been, they were hauled in by the local officials because they were preaching the gospel. They were sharing the gospel. And they were told, you better stop this business. No more teaching in the name of Jesus. Don't be coming around here stirring up problems, you instigators, you street preachers. Don't you be starting trouble in this community. And they beat them and they sent them on their way. And you know what they did? They went back to their church family because that's where you go. When you got problems. Alright? You don't go to Dr. Phil. You don't go to your drunk uncle. You don't go to, you know, your neighbor. You go to your church family. They went to their church family. And they told them what happened. You know what they did? They all got on their knees and they prayed. 
and they sought God. And the place was shook, man. It was, it, they were filled with the Spirit of God. It was so, they, they were so like excited that they got beat for Jesus that they went out and wanted some more beating. They went out with boldness, all of them. Instead of two, there might have been 22. There might have been 202. I don't know, but they all went out in boldness and the gospel spread because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking of, and the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Stephen got his beaten too, didn't he? All the way to glory because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this language throughout the New Testament. It gives us an understanding what Paul means when he says, be filled. We can understand as we read what it's like. We can relate to and, and, and identify with what it means to be filled with these things. Filled means total control. You're yielded. In my unsaved days, is a wayward prodigal, if you will, given to drink. I understand the passage in Ephesians when Paul says, do not be filled with wine, do not be drunk with wine as in excess, it's dissipation, it's, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. You ever seen a drunk? He's controlled by the alcohol. Just look how he walks, right? He's, he's under the control. Now, on a cruise ship, that would be like this. Some of y'all think you got that. Yeah. If you see a man walking straight back in the day, we're like, man, that guy's drunk. He better get to his room. They're under the control of the influence of the alcohol. Are you under the control of the Holy Spirit? When we're living our life, as we go day to day, are we, are we asking God to fill us? By the way, we're indwelt once. Indwelt once. Filled multiple times. Okay? When you repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are baptized with the Holy Ghost. That didn't come through some water baptism. Don't let anybody teach that heresy. You don't have to be baptized in the Spirit of God and speak in tongues as evidence. That's heresy. The Bible says that when you believe, you are baptized into the Spirit of God. You are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. You've got all of the Holy Spirit you're going to get. The question is, does He have all of you? I once illustrated this when I was a youth pastor, and it's probably not the best illustration to break down. You know this. But I had a big lamp, floor lamp in the room, and, and we put towels and blankets all over it, and you couldn't see the light, and we cut the light off. And it was dark in the room. I had to turn it on quick because they were teenagers. But anyway. Um, ended up taking... One of the blankets off. Not much different. Took another one off. Oh, there's a little bit of ambiance in the room. Not, not a lot. I like that word, didn't you, Zach? Took another one off. Oh, it's getting a little, little brighter. 
took another one off. Man, all of a sudden, it's, 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 the room is lit. And then I even pulled the lampshade off, and it was like, oh, man. Guys, that's like our life. As I'm surrendering areas of my life, as I'm allowing the Spirit of God to chip away the rough edges, as I am putting off the old man and putting on the new, as I am yielding, as I am laying aside the sins that so easily trip me, it's like these layers, if you will, because the Spirit of God is at work in leading me through the known will of God how to live, that light grows brighter. And that's God's desire for all of us that we become more and more conformed to the image of His Son. So total control. A man is under the dominating control of whatever fills him. Whether it was madness, whether it was sorrow, whether it was fear, whether it's faith, or the Holy Spirit. When you see this in the Scriptures, as the illustration of the passages we just gave you, when they are dominated or controlled, whatever that is, that's what fills them. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that you be filled with the knowledge of His will. Paul wants the Colossians to be totally dominated by something. What is it? It's the knowledge of His will. Guys, my prayer for you, oh, my prayer for us, we will be dominated by the knowledge of His will. We be filled. Our life's under His control. You be filled with the knowledge of His will. Verse 9. Notice what He says. In all wisdom. In all wisdom. So if Paul's praying that we be filled... Wisdom comes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This cup's filled. There's no more room for anything else in this cup. It's full. Guys, are we full? I gotta get drink this, and we're gonna spill it. Hey, it's all right. Spill over the Holy Spirit on some people, right? But anyway, we're gonna drink this. This ain't the living water, but it's it's, it's gonna hold for just temporary. Thankful we got the the living water. Amen. Mm. That's so the sermon won't get dry. <laughs> Look, that joke never gets old, does it? All right. Be filled in all wisdom, and all wisdom, and in spiritual understanding. You know. When it says all wisdom, think about this. I, I don't want to move on past that too quick. Paul puts this in there, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because of what's going on in the congregation. He has gone from their progress, now he's transitioning to the problems. He's interwoven it, though, because he starts off out of the gate with saying, Paul, an apostle. So he's, he's establishing his authority. But even here, when he says, I'm praying that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. Why would he say that? Well, who's some of the people that's been creeping in, under, in their underwear? In the underwear? <laughs> who's some of those people? The Gnostics. 
The Gnostics, this higher knowledge that, oh, somehow, hey, listen, Jesus is fine. But you need to, to understand, he's just an example, one of what you could be if you get on this higher plane of understanding, if you just get this great knowledge. We have this secret knowledge that, that, that can take you to that next level. Gnosticism, guys, is this secret knowledge that certain people have, have understood, you know, Modern-day Gnosticism might say guys like Jesus and Buddha and, 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 and Muhammad. Some of these people maybe that got on a different plane, you know, uh, spiritually speaking, they were beginning to understand some of this Gnostic teaching, some of this Gnostic truth, this knowledge. And so no doubt when Paul is writing this and he says in all wisdom, he's praying that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, it's a response to the, to the Gnostic heresy. Knowledge is, by the way, the word knowledge in the, in the Greek, kenoso, kenos, uh, and in this case here, this word is epignosin. And so the prefix on the front of the word for knowledge is very important. That prefix on this word for knowledge here, where it's not always used elsewhere, there's a significance in that. It's super knowledge. The Gnostics boasted that they had super knowledge. Here, Paul confines it to the will of God. No, you, you want all wisdom? There's only one place it's found. And he's going to go on to say that a little bit later over in chapter 2. We'll get there. Well, let me just read it. Verse, chapter 2, verse 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Speaking of Christ Jesus, because Christ is having the preeminence. That's what Paul is trying to establish in this church. And guys, let me reestablish it here this morning. There's no knowledge to be found anywhere else than in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not in vain philosophy. It's not in religion. It's not in, in, in angels. It's not anywhere else. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And the fear of God is the beginning of that wisdom. Paul confines it to the will of God, which is expressed in the Word of God. It gives wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom in all its form occurs 40 times in this little epistle. You think he's trying to drive home a point? Yeah, can you imagine getting that letter and you be that Gnostic guy in the church? Yeah, you've been, been trying to have a little study group at your house alone. Because you are a Gnostic. All of a sudden that letter comes through. You probably, that guy was probably going, I crept in my underwear, I'm going to creep out. <laughs> anyway. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Guys, it's not enough to, to know the knowledge if we don't practice it. You see, that's when Paul says here, when, when he makes that statement, he says, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We don't want you to just get the information, folks. You need to put it into play. 
James said, don't be hearers of the word only, deceiving yourself, going away from a mirror and just walking out and not being doers of the word. The word of God is like that mirror and it's being held up each time we gather, each time we preach and teach. And that instruction, that knowledge, that truth that's being given, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with our understanding of who Christ is? Am I allowing it to move from here to here to transform the way I live? That's what needs to be happening. That's what Paul's praying, guys. Let the Word of God change you. Let the Spirit of God transform you. Spiritual understanding. Don't know who... This was an unknown source. I found this and I thought, man, that's good. I'm going to share this. God's will for us. You want to know what God's will is for you? You know, people are asking everywhere... What's God's will for me? What's God's will for me? I'm glad you asked. Man, y'all are getting so much better at that. I, I'm gonna have to write a letter to one of the pastors and anyway. Sanctification is God's will for us. We've been justified as believers. I look around this room and, and, and again, I don't know the heart of man, but the most of you that I know have made a profession of faith. You're followers of Christ. Guys, God's will for you is not just justification. I'm going to heaven. God's will for you actively now, presently speaking, is sanctification. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. He's at work in my heart. He's at work in your heart. He's wanting to change us and transform us that we might become more and more like His Son. Sanctification is God's will for us. We find these examples of this. By the way, do a, do a little word study. Maybe tonight you want to do some of this in your care groups. L- look up where that phrase is used, the will of God. Almost, almost off, always, not always, but most of the time when you see the will of God, that phrase, the will of God, or something in reference to the will of God, it almost always has to do with the sanctification of salvation. So it's focused more on your, on your practices, on your life, on your behavior, on your conduct. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So one of the things is avoiding sexual immorality and impurity. That's God's will for us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. That's God's will. Oh, what's God's will? You know, and we oftentimes, you know, what's God's will for, for me and, and who I'm going to marry, go to college and, and where I'm going to work and, and where I'm going to move. And, you know, and I realize these are real practical things that you're not going to find, thus saith the Lord, move to, you know, that's not always there. I understand that. But I found if we'll focus on the moral will that God has revealed, those answers are a little easier to obtain. God's not made this a mystery. He's revealed this on the pages. So let's be real clear. God's will for us is sanctification. Avoid sexual immorality and impurity. That's God's will for us. Wise living is God's will for us. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Live in a wise way, guys. Again, put into practice these things, these truths. This is the will of God for us. Security is God's will for us. Jesus prayed that we would be kept eternal salvation, protected from the evil one. This is, go back and read that again, you know? This is God's will for us, security. Service is God's will for us. 
Ephesians 6, 5, 1 Peter 5, 2. Again, as a pastor, these are some specific instructions in, in, in Peter. To shepherd the flock among you. That's part of my service. That's part of God's will for me. To shepherd the flock among you. This is God's will for us. Did you know suffering is also God's will? Sorry, Aunt Bessie. Maybe that toe is God's will. I don't know. I don't know for certain. But I know those who choose to live righteously will suffer persecution. I know that. And that comes in many forms. Talk to Job when we get there, right? He's a blameless man. But let our suffering, if we should suffer in this world, whether it be persecution or whatever the case may be, that it be because, again, a life that's lived for the Lord. We should expect wrong when we do wrong, guys. We can't hide like the cults do. Well, I, I was riding my bicycle up on the lawn to knock on that door with my black tie and my white shirt to tell them about my friend Joseph Smith and they put a water hose on me. I'm suffering for Jesus. Sorry, my Mormon friend. No. You might be suffering for your Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of Scripture. Be sure that when we do suffer, it's because of right, because of truth. Let's conclude. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Guys, I know no other way to put this straightforward to you. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, you're going to have to get into the Word of God and know the Word of God. You're going to have to move that knowledge from knowledge to understanding by putting into play. You know what that comes down to? One simple word, obey. People always want revival. Let's pray for revival. Preacher, let's pray for revival. I got a word for you. It's not revival. Obey. Let's start there. Let's me and you start there. Let's start obeying what we read. Let's start adhering to what the truth is because His Word is truth and He's already prayed on our behalf that we be sanctified, we be cleaned by the truth. The Word is truth. Man, I stink. I, I'm dirty. I, I, uh, well, why don't you get a shower? Why don't you get a bath? The water will clean you. Man, I stink. I, I've got trash, dirt all over me. Well, here's some water. Why don't you wash yourself? Man, I need to come up with some plan to get clean. I mean, folks, sanctify them. Go back and read that passage. Jesus is praying for us. There's some rich stuff right there, guys. When you go back and then he says, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. We have what we need. The problem's not with not having the knowledge of His will. The problem is our lack of response to it. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. It's one of my favorite passages. Again, a boast in the Lord. I used to love when it's good to have Brittany back with us. But I used to love when her dad would, would served on us at the school board at Wayne Christian School. And and there was a lot of times afterwards and we'd have conversations and things. And I'll never forget, there, was, there were a couple of times that your dad made this comment. 
and, and it was encouraging. It was encouraging in the faith. And again, this is a, please, a boast in the Lord that he would say, Pastor, I really appreciate that when you respond, you respond from the Word of God. In the passage that I just quoted to you, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Guys, my mind was filth. The battlefield of my mind is still a scar. You have no clue where your pastor has been brought from the miry clay. But I know this, and I am so grateful. Because when I discovered Romans 12, 1 and 2, let your, present your, I'm begging you, brothers, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And there's this, it goes on and he says, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I saw that renewing of your mind. I said, yes, Jesus, I need that. I need my mind renewed. I need it cleaned. And I saw this passage, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And I realized, thank you, Lord. This is how, this is how. I, I need to fill my mind. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And so, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. To God be the glory because He transforms hearts. He transforms minds. He renews us. But we're not going to be renewed if we don't fill ourselves with the knowledge of His will. To God be the glory. And it's right there. It's right there for us to eat. It's right here every time these doors are open for us to chew on, to meditate on, to discuss, to talk about. And when Christ has preeminence in our church and in our lives, in our homes, in our workplace, to God be the glory. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. This is Paul's prayer right here. I want you to be complete. I want you to be filled. Church, I want us to be filled. I want our cup running over with the knowledge of God that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The whole counsel of God, Westminster Confession of Faith says this, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequences, uh, consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. We don't need new information. The people at Colossae didn't need mysticism, Gnosticism, Judaism. They needed more of Jesus. Actually, they didn't need more of Jesus. Jesus needed more of them. He was at the center of their life as believers. They had responded to the gospel. They knew their faith, hope, and love was found in the person of Christ. And that's where we too must find our answer in Him alone. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Your Word is truth. Sanctify us by it. Give us a newfound love for Your Word. Let us delight ourselves in You, Lord, in Your Word, uh, day and night. Let it be what fills our minds to change us, to transform us, to cleanse us, to renew us. 
Lord, you've called us out uh, to be separate from the world. And we've got these layers. We've got these layers on us called flesh. Lord, let us lay aside those things that the light of Christ would shine, that there would be Christ's preeminence in us, through us, for your glory, that others would see that good work and glorify our Father in heaven. Thank you for this letter to this little insignificant church, like a little town of LaGrange, like a little small community Baptist type church, no doubt. Much progress, good things to praise and be reported on, yet things to also be protected, concerned about. And so, Lord, let us be filled with your knowledge of your will. Give us the wisdom. You said if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Lord, we're asking right now, give us wisdom as a church. Give us wisdom how we're to move forward in our life day to day. Give us your wisdom to do what you would have us do. And Lord, with that wisdom, most importantly, give us spiritual understanding. Let us be like the, in, in the proverb where it speaks of the whale. And, and, and we mentioned this last Sunday night, Lord, of the wise man knows how to draw from the depth of the whale where the good water is. Lord, let us be that. Let us be diligent to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we won't be ashamed in that day. And so fill us, Lord, with your spirit as we go from here. May Christ have preeminence in our conversations and where we go and what we do for your glory. I pray for the groups tonight that meet. May this discussion continue on in depth. Lord, have your way, change us, transform us, that we will be fit for your service that will be well-pleasing.